The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. We're going to get a little bit inside of David's head, inside of his experience, um, his emotions a little bit, um, and we're, we're going to learn a lot from that and, and gain, I think, perspective on how we can view the circumstances of our, of our own lives, but uh it was making me think, so we went, we had a vacation right before summer camp, and we had gone down to the beach, and we were coming back, and um, my daughter, one of my daughters, my middle girl, she, uh, she was like, she pulled something up on her phone, and she said, all right, I'm going to read uh, the description of a movie, and you have to guess the movie, all right, so, you know, we have eight hours, so I'm like, absolutely, so we played this game for a while, but I mean, it, I, I never, she could have given me a hundred years, and I never would have gotten it right, even though I had seen the movie a whole bunch of times. Especially, I mean, I, I showed this movie to my kids as they were little. It's one of those ones where for a while it was like they just wanted to watch it over and over and over. Like the movie would end and they would want it to start right back. So what I want to do is I'm going to read this description of the movie. And I want you to let, let me get all the way through. And if you know this joke, don't, don't ruin it for everybody else. But I want you to re- let me read it all the way through and then see if you know what movie I'm talking about because uh, I would bet, I would wager that not only did y'all watch this movie, but your parents showed it to you and they probably let you watch it right before bed. All right, you ready? Is this on, Adam? Okay, y'all ready? All right, here we go. <laughs> Do we need to stretch? We can stretch. Do some arm circles. Y'all good? Okay, I'm going to read it, and you see if you know what movie I'm talking about. Here it is. It's a kid's movie. A serial killer brutally murders a mother and almost all her children while her husband watches, leaving only one child alive. The father raises his only remaining son, who as a result of the killer's attack is born with a physical impairment. One day, the son is kidnapped and taken far away. The father desperately pursues his son and can only rely on the aid of a mentally handicapped woman for help. Name that movie. Yes. You guys are way smarter than me. Yeah, Finding Nemo. That's a kid's movie. <laughs> All right, so that, that's a bit of a dark perspective on what is really a great movie. Like the bubbles fish, uh, yeah, like shark bait, Bruce the Great White Shark. I mean, it's a fantastic movie. Just keep swimming. But, I mean, it's ultimately a story. It's really ultimately a pretty twisted story. But I think, man, okay, yeah, that's a really dark perspective on it. But, but it would change it, wouldn't it? Like if you read that, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I should show this to my four-year-old. But perspective really matters, right? And I think when we look at this psalm, we're going to read Psalm 13, which is a song, of, a song or a poem of lament that David writes. And, and David writes a whole lot of psalms. Some people think he wrote up to like 88 of the psalms. Maybe we know for sure his name is like attributed to about 73. And a large portion of those are laments, okay? Now, what does that mean? A lament is when you give expression or voice 
to your grief, to your sorrow, to your pain, to your depression, to your anguish. It comes from this deep place in you when, man, your thoughts and your emotions all turn inward and you're suffering. And so we look at this lament because, man, all of us, all of us are going to experience seasons of sorrow. All of us are going to deal with circumstances that are difficult, relationships that break down. Like in life, we're promised that. We're going to face trials and temptations. There will be suffering. There's no escaping that. And so we're going to see, man, what we can learn from David and how he handles those moments. So we don't know exactly what, when David writes this, when he writes this song expressing his grief, we don't know if this, what, what part of his life this is from. Most likely, it's a part of his life that we're going to cover this week as we look at, as Saul turns his jealousy against David into anger and conspiracy to have him killed, and David has to go on the run. We're going to look at that tomorrow morning. Maybe it was during that time. We don't know. But in a sense, it's good that it's left unknown because the reality is what he writes and how he handles his thoughts and feelings can apply to all of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And the truth is, in the breakout that we looked at yesterday, we know, like, there's no denying that right now, in our culture, in our society, the reality of people feeling and experiencing depression is only rising. Just, just on, based on percentages, there's a lot of people in the room that battle this right now. This isn't, for you, this isn't a lesson to prepare for the future. This is meeting you right where you are. And you're gonna identify and you're gonna relate to what David is saying, you're gonna feel his words more than hear them. And in fact, the way that he writes it, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to feel what he says as much as we hear it. So, Psalm 13, David writes this. How long, O Lord, how long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Yahweh my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And here's where it turns. Watch this. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh. I will sing to Jesus because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray one more time. Lord, again, ask you to meet with us that your spirit would give freedom in the room. God, that you'd give us ears to hear your word, that we would receive it with meekness, and that it would be powerful to save our souls, for some to save from death, to bring him out of death into the, to the kingdom of your son, and for all of us, Lord, that we would learn that when we're suffering, to take it to you, 
and to change our perspective on why we're suffering and what the purpose of the suffering is for. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we learn from David to look at the circumstances of our lives through the lens or the perspective of God's steadfast love, through the lens of his salvation and his sovereign plan for our lives, we will learn to abide in the joy of the Lord. Your circumstances might not immediately change, but how you view and respond to them will. And that's what we see. David, man, he's he's not being fake and he's not being dramatic. He's just articulating. He's giving voice to his pain. And he's being real with God. Like, we could get theological and be like, David, man, what are, what are you talking about? Is God hiding his face from you? Has he forgotten you? Does God forget anything, especially his people? No, God doesn't forget. But in that moment, David's not so much worried about, like, writing out his theology and his doctrine correctly. He's just crying out to God and saying, this is how it feels right now. It feels like you've forgotten me. It feels like you've abandoned and rejected me. That's what it would mean for the Lord to hide his face. You've abandoned me, rejected me. You've left me in this grief and this sorrow. He's given voice to that, but he's not just complaining. He's not whining. He's not, he's not experiencing self-pity where he only wants to identify with his pain and he's just gonna stay there. He doesn't really want, and I'm bringing this up because if we don't do what David teaches us to do right here, in our flesh, this is where people gravitate with their pain. I mean, you hear it all the time, like, it's so prevalent right now. People in our culture talk about, yeah, like, you need a safe place to talk about your depression. You need a safe place to talk about your suffering. You need to be able to voice that. And that's true, but the world doesn't have anything to offer as a solution. All it has is confess it, talk about it, and then identify with it. If we're not careful, we'll follow the world's trajectory of just submitting to our sorrow and identifying with our sorrow and saying things like, I'm depressed, I struggle with depression. And we begin to believe that that's not only a battle that we have, but it's part of who we are. It's genetic. It's because of what was done to me. And we begin to embrace it like that is our life. And David won't do that. David is voicing it, but he's not just complaining. He's not identifying with his pain. He's not identifying with the suffering. He's taking it to the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord, and you see this over and over and over again in psalms like this, the songs of lament, crying out. Even talking talking to himself, David would say, why are you downcast, O my soul? (laughs) Like, why are you depressed within me? Why are you cast down? Hope in God. Trust in God. So what we see him do is cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. and Look what he says. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In verse two, he said, how long must I take counsel in my soul? What's he saying? Like, my thoughts and feelings are, have all turned inward. And so he's, man, he's pushing back against that and getting his thoughts on the truth of who God is and what God has done. And he's not just looking at his feelings and his thoughts and his experience and whatever circumstances drove him to this point, whatever brokenness he has in the relationships around him that causes pain, he's not going to focus on those. He's going to set his gaze, his focus on God. He says, your steadfast love. If you were here last summer, we covered this as we looked at the attributes of God. We looked at the unchanging kindness and loyalty and love that is rooted in the nature and character of God towards us. That God, in fact, loves us with the same love that exists between the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. That is his steadfast love that he has shared with us. And David's saying, even though I don't feel it, I'm going to set my eyes on it. Your steadfast love, your salvation, your deliverance. And when we do that, we focus on the steadfast love of the Lord, on his salvation. And that frees us to then experience the joy of the Lord. To know the joy of the Lord. To, to walk in his joy. Now, joy and happiness are very different things. Very different things. L let me read this to you. This is from a book I read. It says this. Joy and happiness are not the same. Each springs from a totally different source. One comes from the world around me. The other originates directly with the spirit of the living God. Happiness is conditioned by and dependent upon what happens to me. It is bound up with how people treat me or the circumstances that I find myself in. So, I guess it was about, let me see, maybe four or five years ago, um, my father-in-law, uh, he was an NFL coach. He was a defensive coordinator at the time for the Chiefs, and uh, Patrick Mahomes was his second year as quarterback. I mean, they just had a awesome season so we were watching that man just having a blast like he had been with teams that hadn't won a whole lot and so this was this was nice and um the the Chiefs made it all the way to the AFC championship game okay so that's the game right for them it was the game if they won they'd play in the Super Bowl and he had told us he had told all my family my wife and I've got three kids he had told us that, man, if they were going to the Super Bowl, he was going to fly us all out. I forget now where the Super Bowl was going to be that year, but it didn't matter. He was going to fly us to the Super Bowl. And then it was also uh, hinted at that if they didn't go, because in that year, the team that lost the AFC Championship game, they got to coach the Pro Bowl, which was going to take place in Hawaii. And we thought that was like a consolation prize. Like So for us, it was either we're going to get to go to the Super Bowl or <laughs> Hawaii. And so we're watching this game. It's the AFC Championship game. And they're, it's tough because they're going against 
the Patriots when they still had Tom Brady. And it was back and forth, back and forth. And again, my father-in-law, he was a defensive coordinator. And they had picked off Tom Brady twice. And, but but they, the Chiefs then went down and scored and went up. But they left too much time on the clock. And Tom Brady, man, he's just marching them down the field. And you just had this feeling like, I mean, we were just, we were down. We were, our souls were downcast. Because it was like, we know how this story ends. And we're watching and we think, man, all hopes of the Super Bowl are off. And my father-in-law calls a play. Tom Brady drops back to pass, and he throws it out to the flat, and the, the safety comes up and intercepts it. And we go crazy. I'm not a, I don't celebrate, like, outwardly. I'm not a, I don't hoot. I don't holler. I don't raise my hands in the air. Like, I don't do those things. But in that moment, I was, I mean, I think, I was jumping, I was screaming, I was high-fiving, I smacked my youngest right across the room, and he didn't even care, like, we are going to the Super Bowl, we're going to the Super Bowl, we're freaking out, we're hugging, like, we're just jumping up and down in the air, like, we didn't care, it, it was awesome, and then all of a sudden, we, we calm down, and we see, like, across the one part of the screen, there's a little yellow bar, which means the flag was thrown, and all this okay, okay, be against, be against the offense, be against the offense. Oh, no. This guy who I won't name named D. Ford. <laughs> it was a defensive end, and that guy lined about a yard offside. He lined up offsides for no good reason. That's not his position. That's not where he was supposed to be standing, and they called it back, and all of a sudden, that feeling of dread came back, and of course, Tom Brady took him down, touched down. They went to the Super Bowl, and we thought, I mean, we we're so sad, but we thought, well, at least, at least we'll get to go to Hawaii. And then my mother-in-law called us a couple days later and said, we're leaving for Hawaii. We'll, we'll send you guys pictures. Wish you could come. You know what I felt? Sadness. <laughs> I felt sad. No Super Bowl, no Hawaii. We just stayed in Andrews in January, cold and sad. But, you know, for a minute, and it passed, and something else made me happy. Because that's how happiness works, right? It's all circumstance. It's all things in this life. And again, if we don't, if we don't listen and learn from David's example, like the way that we'll try to deal with sadness, the way that we'll try to get through life is to manipulate the circumstances and the relationships we have to make them as happy as possible. And that is like chasing the wind. That is like trying to grab smoke. You can't do it. It'll always evade you. Because the reality is, there is no safe place in this world. This world has been broken and it has come underneath the, the curse of sin and death and those things are real time is ticking. We cannot escape death. And it comes in so many different forms. That's the reality. And that's why we pursue, as Christians, we pursue joy, not happiness. Listen to this as he goes on to define joy. Joy, on the other hand, is a quality of life that transcends. That means it's above, it's beyond the events of my life. Joy is a divine dimension of living, not bound by circumstance. 
this joy springs like a mountain spring, springs from the presence of God. It flows from God's very nature. And God, by his nature, is unchanging. He is the fountain and source and spring of all real and lasting and sustaining joy that, listen to me, does not depend on circumstance. It doesn't matter. Listen, God's joy is so real and so deep and so unchanging that you can actually experience God's joy while you suffer. You can experience the joy of God while you suffer loss. My wife reminded me of this this morning in a a super clear example. And she was like, I I was walking through the first time I preached this text and she was was just kind of walking through the outline with her. And and she reminded me just a few years ago, we, we went and visited a family that we knew and loved from this ministry. It was a, a youth pastor and his wife. They'd been coming here for years, brought their kids here, and, and, and man, she just loved Snowbird. And, but she had an aggressive form of cancer that was just eating her up. And, and she was on hospice. She was at home just basically waiting to die. There was not going to be a cure. There, there, was, there was no hope other than just God performing a miracle. And so uh, Sarah, myself, Spencer, and his wife, Amy, we, we drove down. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. I'm going to get through this. We drove down, and we sat down with them. And, you know, the whole way we're praying, and we're just, not a lot you can say. We just want to be present and try to encourage them by our presence and talk about, you know, old days here at camp and encourage. And, and as we sat there, and, and more so like after we left and we were in the car coming back, we just, we were quiet for so long. No, no one could really talk. And then when we did start to talk, it, it was this. It was, man, I'm so encouraged. I am so lifted up because all she did from her literal deathbed was radiate the joy of the Lord. She's radiated God's joy. Why? Because her eyes weren't on her suffering. Her eyes weren't on the cancer. Her eyes were on (laughs) the steadfast love of the Lord and his salvation. This reality. She wasn't identifying with her pain. She was identifying with who she was in Christ. And that's eternal. And cancer can't take that away. Sorrow can't take that away. Happiness, yeah, that, that's gone. She's sad. She's leaving behind two boys, leaving behind a husband she loved. She's in the prime of her life. She, yeah, sad. There's sorrow there. But mingled with the sorrow was a joy that could not be corrupted. It could not be diminished. Listen to me, look at me. That is what you have in Christ. Listen to this. Because Jesus isn't only the source of our joy, he's also the example of it and why his life is why we can experience it. Listen to these verses. Isaiah said this about Jesus. I'm gonna read from Isaiah and then John 12 and Hebrews 5. Listen to Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus. Listen to how David 
foreshadows Jesus, not only in the victory against Goliath, but in this moment, in a troubled soul. Listen to what Isaiah said about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Listen to Jesus' words himself as he turned his face towards the cross and was marching towards it, and he would not turn away. Listen to what he said. Now my soul is troubled, and he's actually quoting David from a different psalm when David says, my soul is troubled within me. Jesus is quoting because he's saying, that was a foreshadowing of my trouble. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus in chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, when God became man, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became, listen to this, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What's it saying? What's he saying here? You and I, in this world, there'll be sorrow, there'll be suffering to different degrees and different levels. Some of you right now, man, all you know is happiness. Man, and I'm, I'm glad for you. Man, if your life has been good and your family's whole and you haven't suffered very much and in general you face life with joy, man, that, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. But know this, even if, because one, it's going to change, but also the danger is that you'll rely on happiness. You'll rely on circumstances. And in part, listen to me, in part, that is why God allows us to suffer. Your suffering has purpose. Your suffering has purpose. And here's a big part of it. As a believer, you can know that your suffering has eternal purpose because what God is doing is not allowing you to go through this life in a way that depends on circumstances and other people. He won't let you do it. As a believer, he'll allow you to suffer and experience loss and experience pain so that you learn that your joy is only in him. And that has been made possible because Jesus first identified with us in our suffering. He suffered. He suffered. He's not just saying these things about himself because it's what David said. Like, he really went through it. So for us, don't identify with your weakness. Don't identify with brokenness, depression, anxiety, your past sins, past abuse that you've suffered. Jesus is your identity. The suffering you have endured doesn't define you. Your pain doesn't define you. Depression doesn't define you. This world doesn't define you. Listen to me. 
You don't define you. You don't need anything or anyone to tell you who you are. Jesus defines you. Jesus tells you who you are. And, what, and who he tells you that you are is that you're his son. You're his daughter. He's adopted you. He's forgiven you. He's loved you with an eternal, steadfast love. You are forgiven and you are healed and his joy is yours. His joy is yours. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand the throne of God. Jesus, in his greatest moments of suffering, suffered with joy. Why? Because he was looking forward to what he would have with us in the presence of God forever. Jesus suffered knowing he was going to experience the joy of the Father forever, but not just for himself, but that what Jesus was doing, because he identified with us in his suffering, we now identify with him, and where he goes, we go. And Jesus entered into the joy of the Lord, and because we're in Christ, we have entered into the joy of the Lord. And that joy for us is just as secure and real as Jesus' position at the Father's right hand. Nothing can change that. Nothing can undo that. Jesus will experience perfect joy for all of eternity with the Father and the Spirit, and we've been brought into that, just like into his love. It's unchanging, and it's available now and always. So how do we fight for joy? How do we fight for this perspective? It's easy in here, but man, when you face difficulty, when you face suffering, when your soul is downcast, how do you fight for this? Jesus, in one of his, his last real long conversation with his, his disciples said, I mean, you guys gotta abide in me. In John 15, he said, you gotta abide in me. Abide in my word. He said, I mean, abide in me. If you abide in my word and you obey my commandments, listen to what he said, John 15, 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or perfect. Abide in my word. Abide in me. What's that mean? Focus on Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. Spend time in his word getting to know him. Man, cha- allow scripture to change your perspective. And you'll see all the suffering that comes into your life. Is it pleasant? No. But can you experience the joy of the Lord in it? Yes. Because you'll see in it God's steadfast love, his purpose for it, which is eternal. If what my suffering does is constantly push me to depend solely on God as my source for joy, then I'm free. I won't be identified by my pain. I'll be identified by the joy of the Lord. And further, what that'll actually do is free to me to actually enjoy the good gifts of this world. 
I can enjoy my relationships because I'm not dependent on them for joy. So I don't have to try to manipulate people and circumstances to make me feel good. I feel confident and loved and accepted in Jesus. So that, man, I can just have the gifts of this life as an expression of that joy. And it frees me to then serve people with the gospel. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Listen to this. This is the exclamation point. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But take heart. That is, be courageous, be confident. In fact, it means to be filled with joy. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.